McKenzie, space again, gets the pass away for Ah, oh, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, where, no matter where you are in the world and where you're listening to this, uh, welcome along to the All Blacks podcast, proudly brought to you by Vodafone, myself, Jay Reeve, at the helm today, uh, back into the driver's seat, uh, Rob Roundy Dunn, how are? Yeah, good mate, good to be back in the studio, it's a little bit nervous, it's been a while, but hopefully uh, we'll be able to get back into it. We're going to break you in nice and easily, a uh, man that well, absolutely needs no introduction, but that's what we do on the show, he is the CEO of New Zealand Rugby, welcome to the All Blacks podcast, Mr Mark Robinson, how are you? Hey guys, I'm good. Yeah, great to be here too. Hey, really th- impressive setup here. Thank you very much for giving up your time because I know that you are an incredibly, incredibly busy man. And what I mean, what a year! I think the last time I saw you was at the Sevens and Hamilton, and, and she was sunshine and and lollipops. And by gee, by golly, by gosh, didn't things turn quickly? Man, that seems a long time ago now. <laughs> <laughs> I do vaguely remember that. You're right. I remember you swanning around and uh, enjoying the festivities there. But um, no, it was a uh, it was a very sort of simple, straightforward sort of uh, time of the year back then, and it seems, like I said, a, a long, long time ago. Yeah, I mean, I think I was four to five weeks into the role um, when when uh, COVID hit, uh, of which two and a half to three weeks I'd spent overseas with some world rugby and other sort of um, work I needed to uh, get into in, in Europe and, and the UK, um, and going up to see Adidas in, in Germany, which was great. And as it turned out, COVID sort of followed me around Europe. Every every place I went to, and then subsubsequently travelled on to, the cases just kept spiking in behind me. So is he patient um, zero? Are you? Super safe guys. So um, so yeah, and, and then landed, and then uh, not long after that, we were into lockdown and dealing with all the different stuff that we've, has been well documented over over the last sort of seven or eight months. I guess that if, I guess for a lot of the people that are listening uh, that know your backstory, it's an impressive one. For those that don't know, you, you really have shown how you can transition uh, through a love of the game right the way through the players into the top level of footy that we have on offer here in New Zealand and in the world, and then having the top job in what we would say would be world rugby. Take us back to the Naki. Where did the passion, I mean, obviously a very proud, I mean, I grew up in Rahudu, not far from, yep. you know, around the corner from where you were. A very proud rugby region uh, drummed into your early doors. Were you, were you a part of that? And I remember it as a kid, and we're about the same age, so I could probably throw you in the mix here. I think it might have been Eater sponsored it, and you used to get a little tag, and you used to get a first aid kit, and you get to sew it on your jersey. Were you of that era of rugby, or was it you still buying your own jerseys? Ah, uh, yeah, mate. You you sound like you had a, a much more uh, right, sort of privileged, proud rugby <laughs> privileged upbringing than I did in terms of rugby sponsorships, <laughs> mate. But I. Um, I, I guess my first memories are typical of what most kids living up in the country were like, you know. So, um, uh, bare feet, frosty grounds, a lot of mud. Um, just lived under the mountain in, in Kaponga, uh, in South Taranaki, and so a lot of a lot of trips home after a game in the boot of a car or or in the back seat, and and making sure blankets and all sorts of other things didn't dirty the family wagon and all that sort of good stuff. Yeah, um, down to you know back back home briefly uh, for lunch, and then back down to the local park to watch. Senior club game and then run around all night after that with a you know a can of drink and a um, and a moro or a packet of chips or something and that was that was sad days you know so so yeah that was drummed into me at a at a young age and I loved it you know the the games of touch and rugby that went alongside all all that sort of stuff on a on a Saturday and um, followed the game religiously as I as I grew up um, loved playing it uh, had a uh, you know I've got a younger brother who many many. Um, uh, Brutal sort of wars out on the back. On the back <laughs> he back said that uh, you, mate, 
it was one on one, and then you get a mate over. And as the older brother, it was two on one, two older guys. You wouldn't give them any mercy at all. You just go two big units on the little oh, fella. Oh, you had to learn. You yeah. know. <laughs> so no, and we had a lot of you know farms were a lot smaller back in uh, in Taranaki in those days. So yeah. you know, I think in the radius where where we lived um, now, there's there's not as many you know young people um, on, on the same areas of land. Whereas back then, you could gather up sort of ten, fifteen guys pretty quickly and. And go to work. It's great fun. As, and talking about that, obviously jumping forward slightly more when you, when you see the state of uh, regional rugby these days, it, like you said, like on our road, we had I think uh, fifteen farms on one side and about twelve on the other, which meant that there was you know effectively twenty odd families that were there with twenty odd sets of kids that frequented the primary schools. And now those those bigger family blocks in the rural sector, can you see from your position now? Uh, rugby stagnating, possibly growing, or in a decline, and and because of that reason alone, without without the community, you don't have the kids that turn up in the mornings to play footy. That then go and watch the old boys or the older brothers playing that club rugby in the afternoon, uh, and and then spill into the regions after that. Yeah, I mean it's certainly different. I think um, you know we have to acknowledge that, uh, and and uh, smaller communities where I grew up, rugby is still a big part of. Um, of what makes a place tick, you know, a rugby club is still very central to um, people coming together, uh, very central to camaraderie, people looking after each other, you know, um, people supporting each other in times of difficulty and all that sort of good stuff. But there's no doubt that, um, you know, those regions have, have less people in them now. And, and I guess part of what rugby's going through as we transition through COVID is to try and understand how we move and adapt to, to those new challenges. I'm talking a lot at the moment about how we reimagine the game on a number of different fronts. And one thing we've, we've realised and probably have over the last year or so is that the game historically has been something that uh, has been delivered and it's a product that we just sort of simply put out there and say, there, you either like rugby or you or you don't. And we're, we're now working very hard to try and, and make sure that the participant or the customer, whatever that sort of language is, is right at the centre of the game in terms of crafting what their rugby experience is like. So so around what a rugby club might look like, well, that might be much more than what it was in the, in the old days, or much different, sorry, than, than old photos on the wall in a bar. It might have things like, um, you know, what free Wi-Fi. It might have a half-court basketball court sitting to the side. It might share... Um, you know, a range of other um, services with other other sports, for instance, so that you build a more community shared shared um, service model. So all, all of those things are what we're trying to put a huge amount of emphasis in now. So that rugby is certainly a strong part of what that club might be, but it's not absolutely the centre um, like like it used to be. And we've got to be more, you know, smarter around the way that we develop rugby experiences for people. And that and that goes. Sorry, I'm rounding a bit, but I'm, no, pas- no, I'm passionate about that. That goes to things like having more alternative formats of the game. So you know, less contact, ripper being played to a. a um, a, uh, a much older age, uh, under 85 kilos, been fantastic this year. You know the club competition that's been so successful around the country. So they are all ideas that are starting to bubble through now to sort of engage in some of the challenges you're talking about. Randy talks about this quite often, so I'll let him carry on about it. The importance of young kids. So when you go back to those like running along the dieseled lines of a field as a kid to try and keep out of the frost, and the different sports, like you, you say it quite often. The, the importance of, of just having, a as a kid, having that broad spectrum because I think as soon as something gets professionalised, then you really narrow down on it. And it's kind of like, I, I don't mate, think we oh, want to be there, do we? Oh, mate, I'd, I'm a massive believer in, um, you know, for my kids, you know, a team sport is a compulsory thing. Like, I just think um, for all the things you can learn in life, um, the ability to get along with other people, share a common goal, as soon as you can learn that from the youngest age possible, for all the things I'm piss poor at, there's, um, you know, anything that I am decent at came from, you know, being involved in team sport. And that's why 
I'm so keen for my kids to do it. And the one thing I noticed off the back of COVID when we went back down for the uh, Tapuna Under-8 uh, footy side is just how much everyone enjoyed being back together again. And, you know, rugby was the vehicle at that particular yeah. time. But, like, we realised, shit, we really like this. We really like congregating with our friends. We really like having a natter on the sideline. We like talking and, and watching and, and supporting our kids and our own people. So I think, you know, it's the silver lining of COVID. Some of that stuff is that we realised um, how important that community aspect is. And to your point, Robbo, yeah, shit, we all need to have... Um, some aspirations and, and a pathway if that's the way we want to go um, but I, I remember back in you know when I probably first started coaching I probably was of a, of a way that you needed a table and you needed to win and, and but I you know that, that ship has sailed like I just want um, all the kids that I coach to have a really really good time and, and, and come back the next season and the next season and for them all have a direction to go uh, no matter what that is because they're the ones who turn on the tally and watch the footy. They're the ones who go have a bag of chips, use the Wi-Fi, you know, get a get a Coke and, and raspberry at the rugby club. Like, it's all the community, isn't it? So um, we've got to try and cater for everyone and give everyone a bit of a direction. Has, have you noticed that from the, t- from the top looking back is that there was almost like a push for that professionalism and even the, even to the level of filming first 15 rugby. Like, I was at Super 8 schools at Tauranga Boys College and that was like, it's a pretty big deal if we got our games filmed. Do you think it's almost coming back a little bit more like Roundy was just referring to and just going, well, the, the professionalism got pushed quite far down the chain and now it's kind of being that the tide's sort of coming back a little bit and, and, you, and you're realising that kids should be there probably for more of the enjoyment as opposed to... I guess a, a Chinese Olympic model. Where you're like, okay, cool. You're going to be tall, so congratulations. You're a lock. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, our our, uh, our high performance. I'm just trying to picture that. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, through me. I think um, you know we're, we're, our high performance um, teams are, are clearly articulating. Um, where they can, that rugby is a, is a late specialisation sport. You know, we 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 don't want to be in a position of of forcing young kids to make decisions around sports or a whole lot of commitments to programs at really young ages. You know, play as many sports as you can, have as many experiences as you can. Would ultimately love you to play lots of rugby. That'd be yeah. great. But um, at the end of the day, uh, it's important for Kiwi kids to get out and do as much as they possibly can. And then as they as they morph through, um, you know, and, and grow and develop, and we all know what that can be like as you grow up and growing at different stages or not, um, then, then you make a call on whether, you know, what you want to do in rugby. You know, we're just as happy as if we get, um, you know, young people coming out of school and wanting to play at Carpong or Coastal or in the areas I grew up, or go on and try and be in a, in a high performance um, setting. But... Quite critically, we just want people playing the game. And around his point before, you know, we have to just make sure it's fun. And success looks like turning up the next year and being part of it again. You know, that's that's really critical. Um, but I don't think we should have sort of underestimate the the linkage there. To um, the longer people are in the game, the more they'll stay in contact by virtue of investing in the game. They'll, yeah. they'll you know, they'll they'll buy a yeah. jersey, or they'll go to a game, or they'll buy a subscription, or they'll. So there's real benefit in keeping yeah. people in the game for a long uh, long time. And then, I guess the final point is is um, there's a balancing act. Quite quite clearly, we need great professional teams, you know, to dr- help us drive revenue, and to give you know our countries and regions really. Um, Strong aspirational pathways to be part of, you know, and and, and serve as, especially in times like COVID, we're a great reminder of what our teams can do to bring people together and um, really lifts the spirits uh, and inspire at times, you know. So, so there's a, there's a nice balancing act there. We're trying really hard to straddle. You've got, I mean, you've got every jersey you can get. I mean, you've got the full gambit from uh, 
uh, regional right the way through to the to the All Black jersey. Openaki uh, High, New Plymouth, Coastal, <laughs> you know, Canterbury, Taranaki. First game for Wellington, not for your beloved Taranaki. That's uh, how did that come about? Yeah, I was I was at Vic, so we went left left Openaki High um, in ninety uh, end of ninety one and. Uh, Started at, at Vic and had a few years down there, so I, I got roped. Actually, David Kirk was coaching at Brilliant. the time, and it's, uh, when he was briefly involved with Wellington, so I think I played a handful of games. They had a great backline, great, you know. They, I think Jason O'Halloran and Alama Edomir in the midfield, so I was sort of um, cleaning their boots a bit, and, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. sitting in behind them for a while. Um, uh, Tana was coming through at a similar time. He was on the wing back then, so yes. yeah, I had a handful of games then, and then went back to um, to Taranaki after I'd finished university and played. Played for the uh, Amber and Blacks then, yeah. and then and then ghosted between there in the UK where I was studying in uh, in Cambridge. So, playing a lot of rugby back then, but just and doing a lot of travelling. But geez, it was great fun. What was the what was the driving force and behind kind of uh, not turning your back on it because you're an AB, but uh, chopping chopping and wanting to get that further, I guess, education that uh, that that higher level education and, and picking the UK for a place to go. Was it footy focused or was it? That just a kind of a How does that come about, an opportunity yeah. at uh, Cambridge University? I've been to um, the game a couple of times yeah. in London with the Ben Dormers and the Neil Toys supporting them, you know, some of uh, your alumni. But um, how does that come about? Because it's a, it's a very unique um, rugby opportunity. Yeah. Um, so while I was at, uh, at Vic, I um, played a lot of rugby with um, a guy named Steve Cottrell, who's, who'd played a lot of rugby in, in Dunedin previously. He went off there... Um, sometime in the early 90s and came back at one stage and said, hey, if anyone ever wants a fantastic experience in, in rugby and education uh, and, and just life, um, this is just an unbelievable time you should consider doing it. So sort of touched base with him and um, I'd always sort of, for whatever reason, had a had a real um, you know hankering for wanting to have a go at going overseas to study. And one thing led to another. Um, uh, applied, you you know, at that stage it was really important just to focus on the academic side of things in terms of application and that. And then um, once I was accepted, uh, there was an opportunity to, to gain a scholarship through the rugby club and went from there. And we had probably seven or eight Antipodeans yep. there along with um, guys from all over the UK and um, a couple of South Africans. But it was just a, a brilliant, brilliant time, you know. The the challenge of actually studying there and learning is, is phenomenal. You know, the quality of people involved is, is unbelievable. The history of the place, you know, I think it's, it's over 800 years um, old and, and parts and some of the oldest colleges are, are you know, several hundred years old. So, um, so you're, you know, you're, you're really um, walk into the place and you're just overwhelmed by the history and, you know, it's got a record number of Nobel um, Prize right. winners yeah. and this sort of thing. And, and so, and, and the rugby, the rugby um, uh, club itself has a beautiful little, quaint little English ground and yeah. really special club rooms for you know, I think it's got the most uh, the most lines of any any rugby oh, club wow. uh, in the world. You know, representing Cambridge back in the, in the old days, and a huge amount of people have gone on to play international rugby too. So good level of um, good level of footy, great mates that I'm still in regular touch with, and and uh, we've been friends forever with. You know, so yeah, really special time. And then straight into the CEO, uh, or job after sort of, I guess, advancing in, in your studies, uh, taking the role of CEO of Taranaki Rugby and bringing it back home, bringing all that knowledge back home. I mean, stepping out of the halls of Cambridge University and in, and into the bull ring. Uh, it must have been kind of semi-worlds apart, but such a, uh, I guess, that's what you want when you've got a regional, uh, strong regional footy, footy side and sort of pathway, is that they go away, get the information, bring it back. Is that, that with the thought process in behind coming home? Uh, yeah, well, I'd, I'd come back 
from Cambridge, because I went to Cambridge relatively early compared to what a lot of guys do now. Um, so I came back and played a bit more professional rugby, ended up in Japan, and after Japan came back to, to that role in Taranaki. And um, yeah, it was just a, I guess it was a range of different things that sort of came to, together. I needed to find a job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then to get back to reality because um, being, in, being in Japan was, is, was quite a relaxed time in terms of being a, a footy player. You know, it was, um, you know, it was a little bit of training, but otherwise, you know, it was a pretty, um, you know, re- really, really good time in terms of not having to be overly burdened with any, any other worries. So, um, so it was fun, but then yeah, reality hits quite hard and I thought to myself, I could have gone back to the UK, you know, there are opportunities to go and get involved in different careers there or in other parts of the world, but um, being in Japan and, and having our first child had really made Nova and I appreciate what New Zealand's all about and what home's all about. And and we knew we wanted to come back ultimately and live in a, as, as we brought a family up in a, in a smaller regional centre for a while. So that combined with an absolute love of, of uh, rugby and, and seeing myself starting to think oh, I could probably work in that, that space. Um, love, love Taranaki, obviously, it's, it's home. Um, those are all the sort of things. And, and a real opportunity with Taranaki at that stage, you know, things were, um, you know, they're pretty, having pretty mixed results across the board with rugby. So it was a good opportunity to go back and make a real difference too. So those are the sort of things that, that came together and, um, and, and made me take the plunge. You um, was it while you were CEO of Taranaki Rugby that you became um, a delegate for New Zealand Rugby as well? Is that at the same time? No, so you, you're not under under the constitutions. Obviously, yep. you're unable to do that. So I'd finished, I finished um, with Taranaki Rugby in, I think it was just after the World Cup in '11. So probably started 2012, yep. and then came onto the board um, about a year later. Started 2013. So um, was approached by a few different people who said, "Do you want to?" Get involved there, yeah. Which at that stage, um, you know, I was relatively well, yeah, very young, you know, in relation to coming onto the board. But again, it was a, a new challenge and something that I thought, you know, can I can I help make a difference here? Loved, um, you know, the game obviously still, um, and it was I guess part of a sort of next progression too. So, um, what does that role involve? What's what's your sort of day to day? Obviously, the CEO of any business is to to build that business, to drive that business, to make that business more profitable. Is it the same sort of role once you're once you're on that sort of uh, the NZR delegate to World Rugby? Uh, well, no, you're in a governance role, so you know, similar to being on the board of New Zealand Rugby. So you're very much um, there, focused on on more sort of high level strategic matters and and supporting the management team as they sort of um, you know navigate through things. So uh, with with World Rugby, I was uh, on a few different subcommittees, so rugby subcommittee. Um, Budget advisory, I think, and uh, and Exco, which is the main strategy board. So um, it involved four or five trips to mainly Dublin, um, tough, uh, d- yeah, <laughs> in different parts of the year. So from from lovely times in uh, in the middle, you know, around spring summer through to some some pretty uh, being there in the middle of winter, which is not always always great, but great hospitality, as you yeah. guys probably know, and and a lot of fun and around some pretty serious moments with rugby too. Yeah. So um, you know, occasionally we'd get off to other parts of the world. They Feel like they had to mix things up a bit. Yeah, they might take one into the southern hemisphere a year, or, or off to, um, you know, the Middle East or somewhere. But um, by and large, it was it was back to Dublin and a, and a well uh, well trodden few few haunts we went to there. Is it a, across the board? Is everyone almost on the same page? Is Northern Hemisphere rugby and Southern Hemisphere rugby pretty much an agreement on everything that the way that rugby should be going, or are they kind of <laughs> is it a push pull scenario there? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean. Uh, 
everyone wants what's best for rugby in their own minds, I guess. Yeah, you know, and and <laughs> people come <laughs> on. Remember the politician. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, I guess we um, we 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 go to the um, you know to those meetings and and forums with a focus on sure we've got to look after you know what's best for New Zealand rugby, but ultimately we want the the world game to succeed and thrive and. For it to succeed and thrive, we believe there are certain things that have to happen. Um, you know, what and, are those things? You reckon? Um, well, we believe to, for the game to grow, it's it's got to um, we've got to provide more pathway opportunities for more um, countries and teams to be able to come and be able to perform at the highest level possible. Um, I think that's. You know, I think from the outside looking in as a spectator, I think that's that is definitely for the first time in the last. I know in my lifetime, the teams that are popping up, even uh, teams out of China and the teams out of Russia and all those people that would sort of be fringe rugby nations or even have it as the 15th tier sport in that, in that country. They've got a populace and they can bring it through. America's another one that's doing incredibly well and have, have done so over the last decade. Well, even Japan. Yeah. I think Japan's probably a shining light really in terms of in growth, isn't it? Like one, the, the domestic competition is getting a lot stronger. That obviously has... Um, Know, some push and pull for NZ because a lot of our players go up there um, because they can earn some good money up there. But to see how well they played um, at the, the last two World Cups for that matter, but actually as hosts of the last ones, they were outstanding. And it's probably that type of growth and pathway you'd love to see for other rugby countries or Tier 2 countries around the world, I assume. Yeah, exactly. And that's probably what we're talking about. So what, what has to happen for that to happen is the question of, of world rugby and how other leading nations can support that. So the game's got to be easily understandable. You know, It's got to be fun to play for pe- people in those markets to pick up. It's got to be safe. Um, and it's got to, we've got to work on a way for it to have um, presence and, and real profile in some of those areas so that it gets picked up. And then there's got to be pathway and opportunity. So, so we believe there's great opportunities, as you said before, guys, around um, some of those bigger markets to... Um, to provide more opportunity for. And COVID's, you know, I guess dealt a real blow to the ability to do some of that stuff now and, and, and follow through some of the strategies, which I'm sure would have come after the last successful World Cup in Japan. There were a lot of plans in place ready to really drive off the back of that. But, you know, we just have to wait for the time to come again and go hard then. How far back has COVID put World Rugby and how far back has, or how much of a spanner in the works has it caused for New Zealand Rugby? Uh, well, you know, the the immediate impact was massive. You know, I think we came out, we've been pretty open that, um, you know, the, the initial impact on revenues could have been up to as much as 70% for, for this year. Uh, that's slightly improving uh, as we've been able to stand rugby up. So um, massive impact to us. You know, we'll make a loss in the order of in the tens of millions of dollars for, for this year, and it's had a huge impact on what our reserves will be at the uh, end of the year. So our ability to sustain more shocks is severely compromised at the moment. Um, you know, we've we've lost a lot of great people. You know, it's yeah. impacted on huge um, number of people across not only New Zealand rugby but all the stakeholder groups with provincial unions and super clubs as well. So that's been, you know, that's been awfully tough on on a lot of people involved in the in the game and and really sad too. Is it the equivalent of basically getting a uh, a, a very short high pass uh, just off the side <laughs> and having someone like maybe smoking Joe Stanley come through <laughs> and, uh, and, ribs and apart. Yeah, rattle the rib cage a little bit? Did it feel like that? Because obviously when we caught up and we referred to it earlier in Hamilton, wow, what a year ahead. Like, I mean, off the back of the Rugby World Cup, everything was fizzing like you said. And then, uh, yeah, here you go, short ball uh, right up high and you just get crunched with it. <laughs> Has it been tough, you know, for yourself personally and even for your family because you've had to sacrifice so much uh, to get the job going? How, how are you? How's the family? Mate, I'm, I'm okay, you know. I, um, there's no doubt there were some really challenging times, you know, and, and those challenges will continue at different stages. But, 
Um, yeah, but it was quite weird in a way, you know, to spend two and a half, three months in lockdown and not see your family, you know, to, <laughs> to be locked down at home um, down in the Waikato there and uh, and be living out of a, you know, room similar size to this, just on Zoom from very, very early in the morning to very, very late at night and, um, you know, come out briefly, um, normally around dinner time, you know, quite quite sort of, um, you know, detached from, from your family, a bit, a lot of things going on in your mind, you yeah. know, that... So that was probably, um, I don't know if the, the kids buzz around and do whatever they do, I don't know if they noticed too much, but they probably felt dad wasn't, wasn't quite there, and, um, and Nova was probably the same, you know, like I just had a, um, a lot going on. But, you know, no, no different to what a lot of Kiwis um, and a whole lot of areas of business and in leadership especially were dealing with at the time. So um, it was just what it, uh, was what it was at that stage, tough, but, you know, I've come through it now and... Um, Back in touch with my family a bit, and then feeling really good about the future of the game. <laughs> summer's, summer's coming up. You'll be able to like all people in the Waikato pop over the hill and stay at the mountain. Yeah, well, we get to find a tower a bit, yeah. mate, which is great. So yeah, few less people there. But for you, mate, like you spoke to it, like massive challenges. You know, like cutting revenue, like you never seen before. Having to unfortunately um, trim staff, let go of some great rugby people, which is hugely challenging. I can't even imagine how tough it is to have some of those conversations with people who've served in New Zealand rugby for a long period of time. But like looking around the world at the moment, like as it stands right now, you know, we've just been through the period of having um, three or four test matches in a row, how good with crowds. You look at the other other end of the world um, where it's starting to get a bit cold. You know, I see today um, Irish Rugby Union bailed out by the government. You know, you've got uh, a normal match day at Twickenham for an All Blacks game anyway can be as much as 20, 25 million pounds in revenue on the day, no crowds for the, um, for the festival up there that they're having with the Six Nations and Georgia and Fiji. So these circumstances are the same anywhere around the world. Some would say a lot more difficult in other parts of the world. Speaking to what you're talking about before, does it actually create an opportunity for us to talk to some of those countries around the world around global calendars, around restructuring things so that one, we're actually thinking a little bit about our expenditure and perhaps we don't need to go from Sydney to Perth to Argentina to South Africa to play rugby, you know, like, is this a great opportunity, great silver lining to restructure how we do things? Yeah, uh, you're right, mate. I, th- I think the um, our initial focus um, has been on uh, survival and preserving the game here in New Zealand and, yep. and making sure we really lock down the future of that um, and start to think about what it could look like, um, which, you know, we might be able to um, talk about shortly. But uh, you're right, it does open up, I think, firstly, a whole... Um, opportunity to think differently in the first instance and to maybe uh, some of the things we talked about before around world rugby and some of the views that people carry into those forums, um, you know, maybe change the way we're we're thinking there. So um, there's there's no doubt we're going to need, you know, to to work together as we um, look at the future in terms of what international rugby looks like. And there's no doubt that um, what conventionally has worked has to be, you know, reconsidered as well. So, I mean, I don't, I don't have all the magic answers around that. Certainly, the calendar aspect, we, we like the opportunity that we're, we've talked about previously. Um, is that move from July to October? Um, you know, we, we think that creates a great narrative through the year of being able to build um, on our club competitions in the first part of the year and then build nicely into international rugby in the second half of the year. Do some quite cool stuff with some different competition models at the back end of you know October, November, with teams coming. Um, you know, north and south, or, or to your point, and maybe in other parts of the world that we're not thinking about yet. So, so we're we're optimistic about that. It sounds at the moment that that some of those opportunities might sit back. Um, you know, p- potentially after the World Cup in twenty twenty three before we can act those um, changes. But um, yeah, optimistic definitely. It, it throws up some opportunities. And we're also lucky because um, I'm not one hundred percent sure how the finances of global rugby work, but we had a cracking World Cup in two thousand nineteen that no doubt generated a lot of income for world rugby. 
and we're going through these challenges at the moment in between a cycle, fingers crossed, by the time we're back playing World Cup in France, um, we've got things sorted. Have we dodged a, l- a bullet a little bit there, not having our major um, tournament affected by COVID? Yeah, you're you dead right there too. Um, you've done your homework, mate. <laughs> mate I driving up from like the bay, listening to podcasts, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I think... Um, I think you're right. Um, it's such a shame, as I said, that after the um, Japan World Cup, we haven't been able to um, leverage off some of the clear opportunities yep. that are provided for developing nations, um, and it's severely impacted on the, the financial resource of world rugby, so they've had to invest in a lot of things to prop the game up, essentially, so that's been tough. But yeah, I mean, France stands as a huge opportunity. Um, it will, it will uh, touch wood um, without too much more COVID impact, hopefully deliver uh, not only a fantastic tournament, on the field, but you know a lot of uh, a lot of revenue and resource to go back into the game off the field too. So, uh, yeah, let's hope that uh, whatever it is now, three odd years away, that that's enough time to get through all this. Focusing on the positives again, does this this sort of interruption stop allow people to pump the brakes, maybe recalibrate the way that they approach the sport? Because great I know COVID chat, that's great COVID <laughs> chat. Yeah, Say pivot. Yeah. Say pivot. <laughs> Nimble. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it, I think that there, for the longest time since the professionalism of the sport, there's been a lot of people that almost have there's an expectation and there's an expectation of remuneration and what you get from that. And there are a lot of people with dogs in the race or irons in the fire, however you want to put it. And maybe now that that whole approach can soften and, and people can realise how lucky they are to do this as a job and how they are, you know, maybe not on a, on a global scale remunerated to the levels of Messi or, you know, some of the big NFL players. But the guys that we've spoken to on this podcast have gone, you know, if there's anything that I've learned from this, A, we're lucky to do what we do uh, for a job, that we, we love what we do for a job. Uh, B, it's made us uh, appreciate uh, and stop and reflect on Club footy and and that first fifteen rugby and all the all the code that we actually and the reason why we got into this and maybe sort of together as a collective you can look at um, I know that there were certain players at certain clubs that were relinquishing some of their their pay packet to keep other staff members of the club and like like I think this is all all really good stuff and it's probably cleared a lot of mess and and hopefully cleared a lot of mist and allows. Uh, everyone to be able to rebuild a little bit, maybe leaner, a little bit better, a little bit more appreciative, uh, and throw everything out there because it's probably a, a tough ask for you. You get a million and one ideas thrown on the table <laughs> because you need to pivot, you need to pivot and be agile. Uh, but then you've, like you said, you've you've lost a lot of the people that are the engine and behind that, and, and and to and to make that happen across the board. Surely we must be in a better spot now, uh, although we can't see it yet. Yeah, no, we well, we're starting to you know imagine what that um, world looks like. I think I think your premise of what you're saying is right, I mean, and what we're starting to talk to people and stakeholders about in this very near phase is if everyone can give a little bit through this. Time, if everyone can compromise just a little bit, the whole game can gain a lot. You know, so if if we can at different stages and levels of the game um, across the board recognise that it's tough and, and we're all all prepared to play our part to help get through then we can create a game that can flourish again and be really strong in our communities and um, and where we can be um, and remain world leading in a whole lot of spaces but it will take you know a sacrifice and a commitment to be able to do that and um, and that's what you know some of the thinking around reimagining the game um, comes from we are not and even pre-COVID we weren't a sustainable game our model was you know Unfortunately, not working. You could see that coming into the role that, that you were needing to steer a ship off the rocks. Um, well, it, it was clear there were a few challenges. One, that we didn't have a, a um, financially sustainable ecosystem right across the board. Um, 
you know, people people were um, not engaging in the game as as they probably had historically, and at, at certain levels of the game, people not participating in the yep. game, you know, the, the way they had. There's a whole lot of other um, issues in the game. It's just not that simple. We all acknowledge yeah. that. But those were, you know, I guess three key things that existed pre-COVID, and COVID has certainly accelerated the opportunity to have a really good look at those. So that's that's what we're starting to do. How can we how can we offer lower resource base at the moment? Um, provide you know opportunities to look at those really challenging areas and um, a, and craft a new way of doing things. You know, all the all the things we talked about before around what does the game look like at community level to be able to re-engage with young people and do things differently. What do we do, you know, in social and digital media to make sure people engage at that level of the game? People snack on on content and, and rugby content now so much more differently than what they used to. You know, less people probably, especially young people, watch a full 80 to 90 minutes of a game, but they love, yeah, our stats around watching shorter clips of the yeah. game are massive. <laughs> oh, you know? so, yeah. yeah, yeah, they do, you know. Yeah. Six or 15 minutes in that, people yeah. will line up and, and watch that for, you know, yeah. um, you know really closely. So that, I guess there are symptomatics of some of the things that we're starting to think about how people engage with the game and how we can um, drive... Um, you know, new new ways of thinking and doing things. Rumour has it that uh, New Zealand rugby is also looking at getting into buying hair salons with the number of crook lids that are out there uh, running around on the paddocks <laughs> at the moment. There's, there's there's real money to be made by these young kids following people in for the mince and cheese uh, and even the, the Robocop skullet that's been run uh, out of Weber, out of the Bay of Plenty. Any any uh, any substance to that rumour? I mean, we're looking we are, at different ways to earn money. We are, we are looking at different revenue. <laughs> uh, and, and alternative businesses and that. So I'll, I'll, as you said, well, mate, I'll throw that on top of a very long list of ideas and advice we're getting at the moment. <laughs> Mate, though, sort of like you spoke to there, we've talked about some of the big picture stuff, but like um, rugby in the near term, like where are we, where are we with um, Super Rugby next year? Is, is it going to be a domestic competition? Is it going to be the five teams that we know now? Is there any um, any movement on that stuff? Where are we are? Where are we at the moment? Yeah, I mean, uh, what we're most likely looking at at the moment is a um, is a, a Super Rugby Aotearoa, um, you know, home and away. Uh, and then we're looking, we're working really hard at the moment on trans-Tasman competition after that. So right. um, before the international season starts in July, so that, that, that'll remain the same. So yeah, we're making good um, good progress here. Certainly domestically, we're really happy with obviously what Super Rugby Aotearoa was awesome, yeah. um, threw up it this year. It was the year. best. Yeah, the so, best. So there's, and there's lots of learnings from that that sound real simple, you know, in terms of you know, what, what fan experience looks like, you know, in, in stadia and, and, uh, and from home. Um, the fact we had great great rugby and close you know close competitions with uncertainty of results was was gold, wasn't it? Um, I, I think uh, the the fact that you know people probably started to uh, understand again the opportunities to have different time slots where we played the game. Yep. You know, so a lot of learnings there. So we've we've lo- learned a lot from last year that we hope that we can build on for for next year. Uh, and then into 22, I guess that's when things start to maybe open up again and we look at, um, depending on a number of things being worked through with, with Sansa, what, what a competition would look like at a club level beyond um, from, 20, yeah, from 22 onwards. Yeah, and you, it was something that was um, in the media a lot a month or two ago. Do you think there will be an opportunity to bring in additional teams into Super Rugby post next season? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's something we're certainly working very hard at. Um, so it's been well documented that, We've been working through a process to understand what different entities can bring to the table around things like um, people and capability, resource, player rosters, um, you know, governance structures, all those sorts of different facilities, and um, 
and we're working with a number of parties on that now. So really excited. You know, that process has thrown up some good good thinking, some again, some more advice and ideas <laughs> yeah. around the way we should be doing things, which is cool, we're always <laughs> open to. And um, so we're working really hard towards sort of the end of November, hopefully having um, a bit more sense of what those teams could look like and, and then pushing on pretty quickly from there. How do you have to split your focus? And, and, and obviously you've got limited resource. Uh, are you sort of leaning more heavily towards that top end, you know, sort of around that All Blacks and, and obviously seeing what we can do with the Sevens now that there's not so much of a tournament or, or a circuit for them to be a part of? Or are you having to push back to that grassroots uh, that you mentioned before, making sure that we're really fostering because if we don't have anything coming in the bottom, we'll never have anything popping out the top. And, th- and then once again, on top of that, what is what is our impact globally, and where do those players fit, and, and how can they move around? Is that all being restructured at the moment? Uh, mate, there's a lot in that question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe go focus on the on well, the top or the bottom. Well, well, they're so interdependent. You know, you, you you're dead right, and it's it's a well um, it's a well trotted out line that without a strong um, uh, base of the pyramid, we don't. We don't have a strong top of the pyramid in our professional team. I'm off a farm, so the other analogy was the more milk you get, the more cream you get, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> you need a lot of milk to get the cream to rise to the top. And it's the same sort of um, it's the same sort of model we, we look at in rugby. You need um, How do you how do you improve those numbers at the bottom? How do you get more milk? Well, some of the things we talked about before, you know, um, you, you've got to create a game that is more um, more tailored to the participant. You know, we've got to change the way we focus on uh, the game offering and talked about the different formats of the game and uh, you know but also you connect you connect through what the game day experience is like so you know better coaching better experiences when you play different formats different opportunities more fun um, but there's also ways that we're obviously trying to connect with people through different channels to reinforce the positivity in the, around the game and the fact the game offers so much and we've all experienced this um, in terms of camaraderie teamwork yeah. stuff you talked yeah. about at the start you know Roundy that's uh, such a good reason to be part of the game so so that's that's a big part of um, you know my focus. I'm really passionate about it. I remember you know what my pathway was like, and a lot of my mates um, and and millions and millions of people have had those pathways, and they're really special. So I'm I'm really passionate about that. Um, and then obviously you can't ignore the fact that at the top end, um, great competitions and great winning teams are absolutely critical to the revenue we drive. And without that revenue, you can't reinvest back in that game that we just talked about before. So it's you know it's essentially one big cycle, isn't it? Is it exciting for you, I guess, being the boss and then just looking at the depth that we've got at that top level in both men's and women's rugby at the moment? It's just, we could we could run out three teams quite happily. Oh, mate, you never take that for granted. I, I am. You know, we're, we're really delighted with, um, you know, obviously the, the, the playing talent we have. And, um, uh, you know, the, the All Blacks were great last weekend, weren't they? And, and um, you know, showed, showed an amazing um, ability to grow their game in a, in a short amount of time. Um, and we're really excited for the women's game about what's what's coming um, for next year with Rugby World Cup 21 being staged here and the opportunity to, we think, showcase women's sport at a, at a level in this country never seen before and, and provide a real leadership opportunity in terms of profiling uh, not only rugby but sport more broadly um, you know, in this country for women. So, so that's really exciting. Uh, you've got the Olympics um, coming up, you know, shortly. Uh, <laughs> 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 We've got a date on those, we're all chuckling. Um, oh, holding the line. Um, so, you know, we've, um, you know, there's a lot to be excited about there and the way those campaigns are sort of um, working at the moment. Obviously, there's been a bit of a pause for them, but getting into next year, you know, there's some, some great opportunities there. So, yeah, I mean, those, those showcase opportunities with our leading players are, are fantastic.
Do you get out of the war room and get to Australia anytime soon? What is it? What does your travel schedule look like? Are you gonna Are you gonna see uh, an Australian footy field with our players on it? Uh, I'm mulling over it. Yeah, I'm just trying to understand what it looks like. You know, on the way uh, on the way back in. And if you get close, if mate. There's any space. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can miss the so, year, but you can't miss Christmas. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, um. So we'll see. Yeah, I'm tentatively looking at uh, getting over. It won't be for this weekend, but maybe maybe um, after that. And uh, you know, I'd love to get over there and obviously, um, you know, see the team play live. Um, but obviously, you know, there's lots of work to do with Rugby Australia about the future as well. So it'd be good to get amongst it over there with them too. And we've got um, a couple of milestones coming up. It's uh, good for me because I can uh, I'm drawing a few moustaches that are popping up on some of our players. But we've got. Um, team Cup during November, which is exciting, and that's a hell of a comp at the moment. Like that yep. is as even if it's ever been. And I'm a Cantabrian, so it hurts this a little bit to see them. Right. You know, yeah, you can't <laughs> like Cantabrian, so I'm loving this. <laughs> you, you clap away, but my adopted province, uh, the Bopper, are looking good to stay up at the moment, and they've got a massive game this week as well. But we've got that; it's a great comp. We've got is it the Ignite Sevens? We've got the Probable Possibles yep. Women's coming up as well. So we've got a yep. heap of footy at this time of year that yep. domestically, which we don't normally have. Normally the boys are up in the UK and they're playing at funny hours. So. So we've still got a heap of rugby this year, don't we? Yeah, yeah, and, and people seem to be still, you know, tuning in and getting to games and really in, enjoying it. Um, you know, it's too much longer and it'd be pretty hot out there for, yeah. for everyone, eh? But, I mean, at the moment, the grounds seem to be in great nick uh, and people are just enjoying some genuinely great weather to get in and around the game. So, no, you're right, you know, and, and that's really exciting. That, that tier of the game um, has always um, been a real factory in terms of producing talent, and, and it remains the case from what I've seen of it this year. You know, there's some, some great people coming through. Uh, we probably need to uh, wrap things up because you are a busy man. You've given us the best part of three hours of your time so far. But just before we... <laughs> it flew by, mate. Yeah, just, <laughs> just before we sign off, is there, is there anything that you just kind of want to get out there? Because this is the whole point of the All Blacks podcast. Is it, it, is, it is media that is owned by you that is uh, from the mouths of the people that matter to the fans that care. Uh, anything that you want to say to that, that footy public or even, even some of the doubters uh, that have been sort of hovering around and being a pain in the ass this year? Um, just thank you essentially you know we've we've um we've had amazing you know support and uh yeah when when this all started to um you know to happen around covid i was just blown away by the way that people came together around our game and uh you talked about it before mate in terms of what it meant for yeah. people to get back to their clubs and and give back to their clubs again we've had people with approaches at all you know for all walks of life with all sorts of ideas um, some wacky and crazy and some pretty cool ones, you know. And, uh, but keep them coming, team. You know, um, keep them coming. Uh, and the way that it's brought people together, and we feel the the, the wider um, rugby community and fraternity and, and the country, for that matter, it's different stages has been huge. Um, so it's just it's, it's a big thank you. Um, we are optimistic and and uh, and really positive about the future. You know, we know it's tough now, but um, we we do have a plan. You know, we we have a way forward, and we're really confident. Um, that we can execute on it. Um, it won't be straightforward, but uh, at the same time, you know, we're really optimistic about what the future of the game can look like in this country. Um, so th- those are t- uh, two messages I'll just put out there at this stage, guys. And I guess to close, what is it that we can do as the adoring New Zealand rugby club public uh, to get round uh, the union and and our boys? What is the best thing that we can be doing? Ah. Uh, well, what can I say? Then? Just buy the jerseys. <laughs> buy jerseys. Buy three of them. Buy every single member of your family a jersey for Christmas. They're a great Christmas present. Yeah, I would say that. Uh, look, mate, just people keep engaging in the game. You know, keep keep um, supporting it. Keep bringing other people in who don't support it to support the game. Do whatever you can. But I mean, we we're, we're just really grateful for um, a whole range of things people are doing at the moment. And um, 
you know, we'll have a little bit of a break and then get back to it in February and March and, and uh, go again. Eh? Enjoy Christmas, enjoy travel, enjoy uh, Fonga Mata. And uh, yeah. you look like you haven't been missing the sun, so you're doing well. <laughs> Whatever window guys. in that building of yours. <laughs> yeah, cheers. All right, take cheers, care. Cheers, Robert. All right.